up, y'all? Hey, folks. Welcome to this most unbelievable podcast. We are your hosts, Paul Fitzgerald. And Sherry Spiegel. You're listening to season two, our first summer season. For the next few months, we'll take a look at a thread we began last season in our Rates of Things episode. We'll take several episodes to explore how we process and experience things. First in the body. Then in the mind. And finally, and most challengingly, in the heart. We would love your feedback, so please feel welcome to leave us a comment or a question on the Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Or you can send us an email at thepaulandsherrypod at gmail.com. Of course, you can also find all of this on our website, thismostunbelievablelife.com. Please subscribe to the show in iTunes, Stitcher, or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. And if you like the show, we'd appreciate your rating on iTunes. Or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out, too. We're so glad you're joining us on this journey. And on with the show. Have you pushed... No, I pushed the button before you left. The button's been going for six minutes. Really? Yeah. Huh. I wonder if we'll get some ambiance. We might. We might. Bit of ambiance. Just, you can always bump these up if we need to in the post. <gasps> the post. <sighs> so, yes, I pressed the button. You pressed the button. But this is a different button, Sherry Spiegel. This is a different button. I can see the button, Paul. Yeah, I can see the button, too. I could usually see the button. But why can we see the button? Because we are in flesh space. We are in the same place. Yes. Coming to you not live from <laughs> Commonwealth Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia, right? That is exactly, um, yep. Properly spaced apart, six whole feet-ish, I think. Ish, yeah, we're close. Yeah, um, I mean, not yeah, that close. Yeah, there's, we got, a, there's a few things between us. There's a whole couch cushion between us. There's a whole us. couch uh, and some other things between us. Yes. Um, it is our one-year anniversary it is. Of, yeah, um, so we, we got together because we grabbed some lunch Yeah. to celebrate a year. A year of Paul and Sherry. So it was like a year, it was a year ago today, wasn't it, that we sort of flesh-spaced in an interactive way for the first time? Yeah, I think we talked about this yesterday a little bit, um, but our kind listeners couldn't hear us. Uh, yeah, so we we don't remember when we actually met. But a year ago today is when we can remember beginning purposefully talking to each other. Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Um, uh, there is a whole episode on the origin story. Yes. If people want to go back and listen to it, I might to remind myself as well. Yeah. But, uh, what did we do that first day? Uh, what? You don't put me on the spot. Um we went to the block. We did. We went to the block. Uh, if you've not been to the block in Annandale, Virginia. Uh, you may never get to. Yeah, you may never get to, depending on how this COVID thing goes. But a uh, great food hall, mm-hmm. uh, restaurant in downtown Annandale. And we would do something called Salon. Salon. And one of our dear friends and listeners uh, proposed this as a way. I don't know what the context was fully. Um, over the Over the summer for faculty and friends that he knew to get together and touch base and talk about topics yeah Ke- i think our dear friend we'll just kevin. say kevin his name is kevin Ke- his yeah. name is kevin so kevin um hi kevin <laughs> hi kevin um kevin i think has always been someone who really likes the interesting exchange of ideas mm-hmm. 
Um, and so he had long wanted these things. And I think we had tried different kind of versions of Salon, often like on campus where we re- yeah, it's where a, we work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but of course, we don't have alcohol in Virginia on campus. So I think the block was the first time Salon, in my knowledge, became a thing with alcohol. Yeah, it turned. Out, it was it was Salon slash happy hour slash social slash. Slash fried zucchini. Fried zucchini. Eventually. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it turned into food. It turned into, yeah. you know. Um, and to Kevin's credit, that is one of the few times I've seen an initiative like that really carry through and be maintained and sustained on a weekly basis. Well, yes. And I also think it's, you know, because I think we point to it as our origin story point. Like, boy, hasn't that been fruitful? Hasn't that been fruitful? Yeah. But July 1st was my first salon. You went a week before then, or maybe even two weeks before then, didn't you? To the salons. Did you salon without I me, should, I shouldn't. Of course not, Sherry. Of course not. There was um, no salon before Sherry. <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth. I'm not Except sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, I think I did. I think I did. I think you did. I yeah. Think I, did. I think the first week I came, I got a little... Like a little tutorial on what people had talked about. Actually, I don't know if you were there or not. Um, I know that they had talked, like, people had come and they had talked about different kinds of movies mm. and maybe travel. I don't really know what people were talking about. But I think in the early days of Salon, there was like a clear conversation topic. Yeah, it was, it was, I wouldn't say themed, but people came with talking points. Yeah. Yeah. And prepared arguments and established statements that had been. Maybe that's just me. Researched and considered and thought about for others' consideration and conversation. Right. Well, and I came the, that day one year ago. Um, I came really interested because I was in my own head with research. Because I was trying to, I was getting ready to teach a, or maybe I had just finished teaching a class in film and literature. And I realized that I do not teach any romantic comedy, anything. Yeah. And I thought that that was not necessarily like inclusive or something. Like, so I felt like, I felt like it was kind of this like internalized sexism that I hate that particular genre. So I was trying to learn more about it. And this actually came up as a Facebook memory recently where I was trying to get people's opinions about rom-coms. And so I was sort of asking whoever would entertain it. And so that is how a year ago I ended up at the table with three dudes. Yeah, I don't know if I remember the conversation, strictly speaking, but I do remember the conversation about rom-coms happened. And uh, there were comments on the AFI top 100 films, and I, it seemed to be very sort of film-oriented mm-hmm. from, the, from the start. I think we have some film buffs in our... I think we do, yeah. In our midst. yeah. Yeah, and so I I don't remember the particulars of the conversation especially well either. But I do remember, you know, and we don't have to go to origin story here, but I I do think that was the first time you and I had actually talked to each other on purpose. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Although I also remember you saying something to me like, yeah, Sherry, we don't really hang out, do we? And I was like, no, no, Paul, we No, we have not for the last 10 years. But I knew exactly who you were. And I don't know exactly how you came into my sphere of knowledge. Yeah, I don't either. That that part's sort of lost to history, I think, lost to the universe. But yeah. 
uh, it seems like it's working out. So. It's, 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 it's not the worst. It seems like it's working out. Um, so here we are a year later. One there year. is Yeah, one year later, there's a website, a blog, uh, a podcast. As you know, if you're listening to it, you found the podcast. Uh, and we got a couple other things on the burner mm-hmm. that, we're, that we're cooking. Many things are being cooked. Many things are being cooked. Yeah. Um, and uh, you just posted a blog. I did. This morning. I did. And you haven't even read it. I haven't read it because I think you literally hit the button on it pretty much either as I was in the car coming down or as I was close. You texted, I'm heading out in a few minutes. And I said, cool, I'm posting a blog. Yeah, posting a blog. blog. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I haven't read it yet. Uh, And uh, it sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's something I've been kicking around for a little bit. Um, It's actually a post that I've been... I have a notebook that I've been writing in for a while, and I actually wrote a draft of this one uh, the Tuesday of spring break. So back in March, like mid-March, I wrote a draft of this thing, Hmm. and I just let it sit there. Um, Because I've been stewing for a while on the difference between meaningful things and meaningless things. What makes something meaningful? Um, And so I posted a blog couple weeks ago, uh, where I sort of started this conversation based on A Trouble on Triton, uh, which is a novel. Sam Delaney, right? Mm, Sam Delaney, indeed. Um, So I started something thinking about the difference between meaningful and meaningless conversation there. And then this was kind of a follow-up post Mm. in a way. Mm -hmm. So... Before I tell you more about it. I was going to say, how would you catch us up? No, no, no. <laughs> how would, how would you, you catch us up on this? Uh, well, how do you see the... What's the difference for you between meaningful and meaningless conversation? Um, for a meaningful conversation for me, uh, I don't think I always know going into them whether or not they're going to be meaningful or meaningless. I wonder mm-hmm. if it's... From getting a sense from the conversation that something is being made known to me that is either new or hasn't been considered in the light that it has been. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be like new information. Oh my God, I had no idea about that. It could be something, an angle on something that I didn't think about. Mm-hmm. Um, something that makes me think about it after the conversation ends. That's, yeah. You know, um, if, if I keep thinking about it after the conversation is over and um, how many conversations, and I don't think I'm a bad person for admitting this, how many conversations have we all had? Have you and I had where it's like, I don't have, I don't remember a single thing that we talked about. <laughs> I'm sure it was great. I'm sure it was great. Yeah, I'm no, sure I it was don't. great. I'm sure it was great. But it's like, I, uh, that doesn't mean that it wasn't rewarding and it didn't have value and that I didn't enjoy it. Right. You know. But, you know, and I might be revising my answer on the spot. That doesn't mean that that wasn't meaningful either. Um, I think that's the thing that makes it tricky. And I know that we've all had meaningless conversations that we could objectively say that was a meaningless conversation. Two people talking to each other and you know they're talking about different stuff, talking past each other. Nobody was challenged. Nobody's minds were changed or or considered for that matter. Um People came into the conversation with an objective, mm-hmm. Re- whether or not it was met or not, doesn't really matter that much. Um, 
Well, and I think in those cases, you might have a conversation that's meaningful for one person, but not for yeah, the other. Yeah, I was wondering that too, as I was saying it. Can, can it be, can you have different perceptive perceptions on that? Right. Yeah. I, I, you probably can. I think so. I mean, I don't know. I tend to sort of hyper fixate on meaning. And I can, I think because of that, I can find meaning in just about anything. Uh, I think this is like the old joke about English teachers to some extent. Like I always have students that tell me like, I read this and it mentions the color blue. And I just want to say it's just fucking blue. You yeah, know? Right. Like, it's not, right. it's not, you know, oh, you know, the blue means this, this and that. Um, but I think when you're looking at something retroactively, you can, const- you can apply meaning to it. Sure. Um, I don't know if you always know at the, at the time, whether it's Meaningful or not, but I've had I've had a student or two who who has come up to me and said, "Oh, remember that conversation we had last February? Man, that really changed my life." And I'm thinking, I have no memory of that conversation at all, and right. you feel a little kind of uh, rude, you know, or kind of idiotic when that's the case. And I'm not saying that happens all the time, but I think it, things can resonate with people at different sort of volumes. Mm-hmm. I think so. In terms of that, mm-hmm. um, I've had I've gone into conversations hoping they were going to be meaningful, and they're absolutely not. Um, I've had conversations that just kind of came out of nowhere that have been profoundly meaningful. Yeah, in the way that they've ended. Well, I mean, I think a year ago we had a conversation about rom coms, and that turned out to be the meaningful start of a thing. Yeah, the meaningful think, start of a thing. You know, the meaningful thing that I think came out of that is I think. You know, if we had to go back and make that day meaningful, I think we figured out we ha- we could banter. Yeah. That was my takeaway yeah. from our... Yeah, we can banter. We we can banter. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. But so this, you know, this uh, blog that I posted yeah. uh, was largely about a day which, I mean, it's hard not to imagine that it has meaning. Um, so it was it was largely written about going to... Uh, my friend Daphna's dad's uh, funeral, uh, which was really, you know, challenging day for her and her mom, especially. Um, you know, funerals are hard in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, like you said, it was a day that I kept finding myself thinking about afterwards. Uh, but I wasn't necessarily thinking about the service, though there were moments about the service that I thought about. Uh, Daphna's eulogy was absolutely breathtaking, like just... Um, you know that I have a thing for good writing, and it was mm-hmm. oh, beautifully written. Um, and that's one of the things I make fun of myself for in the blog is the fact that my first compliment to her after her, her, you know, she's literally just buried her father, and I say, "Your writing's amazing." Your writing's great. Um, but that's just kind Sentence of the structure. Is just <laughs> yes, primo. Structure. Primo. Way to go, um, girl! Likes a good sentence, but. Um, what really stood out to me at the end of that day and what has sort of stood in my mind a week later when I was reflecting on it during spring break and then was still in my head um, was kind of how I policed my own self in that space. So after the service is over, I'm hanging out with some of my dearest friends and we're in this place of mourning and I don't know what to do with myself. Mm. Um, but it seems as though that the social conditioning calls for small talk. So I'm like huddled around. It's still cold out and I'm huddled around with friends 
And, you know, we're just, we are having what, sure, is thoughtful conversation, conversation, but is not at all meaningful. Intentional. It's intentional. Intentional conversation. Yes. But it's small talk, right? And I hate small talk. Um, And so the whole time we're in this, I know that I'm thinking about the other stuff that I tend to think about when I am awkward, uh, which is I tend to ask myself questions about the context that I'm in. So I'm wondering, why are why are funeral chairs always blue? Hmm. Why blue? I don't know. Right? Um, and I'm wondering, like, when we started that significance of throwing the dirt on the casket, like the earth on the casket, as sort of like this collective community embodiment. Where does that come from? And why is it so iconic in film? I think probably because it's very visual. Yeah. Poignant. Yeah. Poignant. Yeah. Um, And there was this very real sense to me that like this funeral felt like the kind of funeral you see that's like, we're in D.C. funeral of the film world. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's partially because of who Bori was. Um, but then one of the things I really wondered, cause, um, you know, we're in this, uh, Jewish graveyard is all of the headstones have these piles of stones. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering like, what's the deal with that? Um, but I don't ask any of those questions because what I do instead is spend time thinking about what, what do the people around me expect of me? What is the appropriate human sherry behavior in the moment? And I'm so fixated mm-hmm. on that that I'm not actually sharing the path of thinking in my head. And so then I watch our other mutual friend, who you know and love, uh, Ray, um, step away from the circle. Mm -hmm. And he goes up to the rabbi and he asks him the very question that I'm thinking about, right? Um, And this is what I love about Ray, is that Ray is someone who, unlike either of us, Mm -hmm. he leads with the heart. And... um, I, yeah, does. in the blog, I, I had this moment where I said, I think with Ray, you can always get straight to the heart of the matter. Mm. Like you can always start with that. He doesn't do small talk. No, he does not. You start at the heart. He does, he does not. Yeah. And so I end that blog post with a kind of what if for myself of like, what if instead of over intellectualizing everything, what if I try to seize the moment and lean in? Um, and, and lead basically in moments with what my heart is sort of asking, uh, instead of what I'm intellectualizing as being the socially acceptable best thing to do in every, like I spend so much time calculating my behavior that I don't always live in the moment. Yeah. I've, I think I've, I've done the same on many, many occasions. Uh, I think I, I know I've done the same on, on many occasions, and where I, I, you know, you go into these things, wherever that event might be, and uh, this is where I am, and this is what's going on, and this is what this event is, and this is how I'm supposed to act, and this is how I'm supposed to behave. So this is what I should be doing. And there's, I mean, the 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 funeral service, wake, all all of that. I mean, it's a it's a ritualistic mm-hmm. tradition steeped through and through already mm-hmm. where there is actually stuff to do in a specific order as you go through but yeah it can be it can be tough cuz it's 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 hard to be with grief it's hard to be with sadness 
and to see people that you love being in sadness is uh, hard mm-hmm. to say the to say the least. And what our culture oftentimes puts value on is what is done. What do you what do you do? Uh, what do you do in a situation like this? And because the answer of well, you you don't have to do anything. You can just be there with your friend who's 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 going through some grief. Mm-hmm is not uh, an answer that's always acceptable to the mind, body, or or spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because it's so hard to do. You know, you have to do something. Are they okay? Are they feeling okay? Can you get you some water? Do you need something to eat? Uh, do you want me to get you anything? Can I do anything to help? Right? Yeah. And, and it's, you know, watching the, the suffering of others is so profoundly hard. It's difficult to, to let it be without trying to alleviate it, even when you know there's nothing... To yeah. do, except you just gotta let the let the wolf have the full run of the house for a while. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes your job is just to sit in the pain. Sit in pain with somebody else who is sitting in pain. Yeah. Well, and that I think that that's another moment that I kind of point to, not for very long, but within the post is that um, we. I think that there is sort of this cultural norm that we we push past the pain as quickly as possible. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, like let's cheer everyone up. Yeah, step up, step up or lift. Let's keep it together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be strong. That's. I mean, I have people never let them see you cry. Never Sherry. let them see you never cry. Never let them see you cry. Yeah, and I mean, I think I kind of live that way. And so sometimes when I actually, when I actually let people see me upset by things. Uh, the way people often respond is sort of obnoxious um, because I will have people who will say to me, Sherry, you're usually so happy. Yeah, it's an act. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, <laughs> if you think that's like, and what that whole line to me, like, Sherry, you're usually happy. What that communicates to me is I would be more comfortable if you would just yeah, put that you, yeah. happy face back yeah, on. Yeah, that's about them. Yeah, that's about them. Yeah. And I think, you know, I have about five people in my life that I think I am really comfortable just be showing up as exactly wherever I am. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think having five people you can do that with is a real blessing. That's more than many people get. I think so. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are lucky to have one. That's true. That is true. A lot of people are lucky to have one. That's true. And I am lucky to have five. Hmm. Um, which is a good exercise if you... You haven't done that. Write down the people you can be 100% yourself with. And show that to no one. And show it to no one. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, because other... (laughs) Or certainly don't show it to someone that's not on the Yeah, right. Write it down and hide it. Uh, (laughs) Suppress that information as soon as it's on paper. Dear friends, I will not be showing you that list. Not because you're not on it. If you're on the list, you know you're on the list, right? Well, it's kind of Schrodinger's list, right? Like, if I never show you the list, you can assume you're on the list. Yeah, right, right. You're both on and off of the list simultaneously. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, That's funny. Yeah. Um, That's really funny. Well, but I think the people who I can... The people who I'm not just all sunshine and rainbows with might know that they might be on the list. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, a lot of times you would get that. I mean, that's a a cultural thing that we're hearing about a lot more now that we're hearing about cultural norms and how they're being challenged. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, with what the expectations are that we have for each other and ourselves. Um, hey, Sherry, be happy, right? Smile. 
What I mean, whatever you know, and yeah, it's nauseating. Smile! Oh my god! Hey, Sherry, you should smile. You have such a pretty smile. You should smile more. And I'm probably triggering half the people out there in the podcast right now. I apologize. Well, at least half that. the people in this room, and the other half don't know what I'm talking about because those are the ones that are telling other people to smile all the time. Um, Why is it nice? Think I've done it. I mean, I think I did it when I was in my younger years. It's like, hey, man, you should smile. But yeah, it's like, oh my god, it's nauseating. Uh-huh. Um, and that's not for. You know, smile and you'll be happy. Oh, no. Oh, no. Right? And it is directly related to the comfort level of the person who would prefer that you not look like you're in pain in any way. Because if your friends are not suffering in any way, you have no responsibility to suffer with them. You don't have to show the dreaded C word of compassion, right? Because that's what compassion is. Co, right? Together. Yeah. And passion being suffering suffering you know um Mm -hmm. uh suffering with with someone else and Mm -hmm. compassion it's like oh you feel warm and fuzzy because of compassion it's like no compassion hurts it's 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 a good thing to have not because it doesn't hurt because it does but it's a good thing to have because it shows you're capable of empathy and seeing people and recognizing the suffering in others Right. And wishing and hoping that that suffering is no more than it needs to be for yeah. the situation you're in. And that's true compassion mm-hmm. right there. Um, and of course, radical compassion mm-hmm. is compassion for yourself, which is Hardest that's of all. a whole other conversation. There might even be a whole uh, book Yeah, I think there's a whole that. book about that. <laughs> thanks, uh, Tara. <laughs> thanks, Tara. Tara Brock, if you're listening, I love you. Um, uh, you do great work. Um, but yeah, so it's. Not an inability to witness and respond and be with the suffering of those around you and your friends mm-hmm. is is the inability to feel compassion. And I'm not trying to say, and then so everybody out there, if you can't do that, you're not compassionate. It's not, not that. But sometimes the what is called for when your loved ones are suffering or in pain or grieving of something, there's not always something to do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the compassion that you are able to show is just recognizing that it's like, hey, I see that you're suffering. I'm really sorry that you're going through this. I'm right over here. Yep. Just come on over if you ever want to chat. Mm-hmm. Let me know if you need anything and or if there's anything I can do. Yeah, I mean, I think... And if not, that's cool, but I'm just going to sit here anyway and be here. Right. Well, it's, I think that points to the value of showing up. Like, I think there's a there's a big value to showing up. There's, but then we try to attach to it action. Like sometimes all we really need from other people is for them to show up, and that's the list. Yeah, yeah. The holidays take the cake with this. I mean, the holidays take the cake. I mean, you have to do this, and you have to bring a gift and what food are you going to bring and you have to make sure that what you get them is about the same monetary values that they get you and we have to make sure we don't show up first but we don't want to show up last you know and all these little social rules that go into the coming together and the gathering back when you used to do that kind of thing uh, I think distract from the value of just showing up you're in an A- minus already yeah. You're, you've hit the 90% mark of what the expectation is. And, you know, if you're, if you're with people, if your, your party requires you to do more, go above and beyond the showing up kindly and mm-hmm. intentionally 
and uh, with an open heart, uh, with with the intention to be giving of your time, uh, you wonder what that event's about. You wonder what the what, and you wonder what your your friends are looking for. Yeah, showing up because showing up's just the just the thing. I mean, it's a it's a big part of the thing. I think showing up is important. I think not. I don't, I really don't like to be fixed. And so I think that's one of the problems with like when people are experiencing pain or in experiencing trauma, people will show up in fix it mode. Yeah. It's tricky. Swoop in to the rescue. Right. Have no fear. Right. Yeah. Have no fear. Yeah. And like sometimes I think I want someone to just tell me what to do in a situation. But what's funny about me is once somebody starts to do that, I start to really resent them. Mm-hmm. Like, don't tell me what to do. Ugh. Ugh. Um, yeah. But I think people do that just because they, they don't want to see other people suffering. So they're like, what's... How do we beeline to a solution? How do we beeline to... Well, maybe if I just make them laugh, it will all be okay. And yeah. forget this enormous hole in their heart. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, and that's the whole clown phenomenon, right? Um, <laughs> now I've just triggered the other half of our <laughs> listeners in the, in the podcast, right? Yeah. And with that, thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Um, Paul Fitzgerald, <laughs> y'all. Yeah, to the rescue. Um, uh, to the trauma ward. Yeah, so you know that's the clown thing. It's like you had, the clown. Next, clown you're going to say up, the word moist. You know, yeah. That'll cover everyone Cl- else. Clown shows up, uh, makes everybody smile and happy. And, of course, the one who is suffering more than anyone else is the poor, sad clown who suffers in silent agony. Right. Why they have to draw the smile on. Yeah. Drawing to hide the, smile. the frown. Right. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, showing up and spreading joy and cheer and... Well... Um, Taking the taking the pain away from others and going off to, you know, seclusion to to hide it from the world. I think. When you then said, there's the poltergeist clown, which is a whole oh, different oh, thing. Yeah. So let's move along. Never put a life sized clown in your bedroom. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> and I've just triggered the third half of the clusters. <laughs> oh man. The third half, our math is getting good here, Yeah, Paul. right. <laughs> um, I was thinking, oh, joy. You had just said something about joy that intrigued me because um, spreading joy, you know, like I, I don't know if joy can be spread, but I think that's what the clown thinks, right? The clown thinks that... Sheer joy. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Just roll with me. Happiness, right? Yeah. So, so I think... The idea behind a clown is that they can just co- swoop in and spread joy. But I don't think joy is something that can be f- forced upon you. Like, what is joy to you? Oh, it's a effervescent feeling of lightness that uh, feels like an effortless outcome of the interactions that we have with those around us. Mm-hmm. That's not bad. That's not bad. It's not bad. Not bad. That. Yeah. For me, throw in a big... Like, yeah. That wasn't a softball question. Define joy. Yeah. It's like, Next up, equanimity. Yeah. Equanimity. <laughs> um, yeah, that wasn't... Yeah. That, that it, wasn't it's what worse. it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's this uh, It's this lightness of, of being that you get from 
uh, being with things as they are and those things being okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, but maybe more than okay. Like, yeah, yeah, it's, it it seems like more than okay. Like, it's it's maybe a, a present recognition of the plus side of equanimity, where yeah. it's like, yeah, good things do happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna rest and joy. Well, and and I do think that joy is a resting spot because. But it's not, it's, it's so, I love joy in part because you can't count on it. And that's what's awesome. Yeah, it happens by itself. I think it has to. It sneaks up on you. Yeah. And then you're like, ah, joy. Blissful joy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it sneaks up on you and, and sometimes it, maybe it is kind of an equanimity thing. Like you can find joy in these fleeting moments in the most horrible of circumstances. Yeah. Right. Like it's sort of unexplicably just kind of pops up. Um, but I feel like you can't, you know, you can tell someone to smile. You can't tell someone. Joy. Have joy. Yeah, have joy. Have joy right now, Paul. Right now. Right now. Do have it. joy. Do. Do it. Do it. Be joyful. Do it. Um, yeah, and I think that's... And so I think when we're telling people to smile, like we're, we're trying to hide pain... But we're not cultivating joy. Yeah, it is. It is. I think uh, about our own comfort. Yeah, yeah. But then no one's happy, right? Like, if I mean, it's not like we don't know. Like, yeah, the pressure's off, but nobody's happy. Yeah, you know, the pressure's exactly. off. Nobody's happy, though. Yeah. Um, it's more comfortable. Yeah, and man, how much of our lives are spent trying to make people around us comfortable. Comfortable. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a time for that. I mean, doing that in a, at a funeral is one thing. Yeah. You know, when it's not about you, it's, uh, there are people who are, who are grieving, mm-hmm. um, profoundly. And one doesn't have to feel like they have to make people comfortable so much as knowing that their presence alone is comforting. Right. You know, but then again, one wants to be kind and offer what one can to someone who is grieving yeah. uh, and, and going through something that is uh, profoundly once in a lifetime yeah. level of pain and, and suffering. But so much of the of the social order of things that we engage with on the daily are about the comfort level. How many meaningless meetings have we had that were made meaningless because everybody's trying to make sure that nobody is uncomfortable with uh, anything else that actually happens? Well, can yeah. you be? Can you? Can that happen though? Can you have a productive meeting that is comfortable, or are productive meetings that you have with groups only productive when some level of discomfort is is there because it has to be because that's the only time that you're actually doing anything is when there's change, and if there's change, then somebody's going to be resistant to it because if there wasn't resistance to it, then it would have happened already. And maybe I'm oversimplifying this. Yeah, well, I think that's a huge. I think that's a huge power question, right? Like, whose meeting is it? That's going to determine who mm. can be comfortable. Yeah, that's true. Right? Like, if this is a meeting called by someone in power for the people who are underneath them, who's going to be comfortable? Yeah. Right. No one. Probably no one. Right. Um, and even the little things that we do, I think we do a lot of things like all the leadership training and stuff like that will tell, tell you to do little hokey things to try to make people feel more comfortable. 
Mm. And I think a lot of those things like icebreakers and things like that, we just end up feeling like our time is being wasted. Yeah. We don't right. feel more comfortable. And everybody com- everybody's uses that time to compare themselves to everybody else yeah. anyway. And so And yeah. hoping nobody else takes their answer before they before they get to them. Right, right. I think, that, it, I think it was triggered think the about that, we've you? triggered the fourth half of the yeah. listeners. <laughs> Uh, the fourth half. By the end of this, we're going to have like nine halves. Yeah, this is going to be the, 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 the title of this is going to be So You'd Like to Be Triggered, right? Yeah. There you go. Or We're Not Much for Math, but We Have a Few Ideas. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I mean, I do think meetings, well, if I was queen for the day, I think I would ban meetings. Most of the time, I don't find meetings productive. Yeah. Except for when they're optional. Like, you know, you and I have a business meeting every week. Yeah. And it's delightful because no one is making us have that meeting. Yeah. We just think it seems like a decent idea. And so far we haven't hated them. So we keep doing them. Yeah, we cover some pretty good ground in some of those. We do. Yeah, we cover some pretty good ground in some of those. Stay Uh, tuned, folks. Stay stay tuned. Stay tuned. But I think anytime, even like committees that I know and love, when somebody gets something about receiving a doodle poll for a meeting, like I die inside. I die. Yeah. So are meetings designed for comfort or are they designed for efficiency and to serve power structure. I don't think it's either. I don't think it's either. Yeah, okay. Um I don't think it's either. I think I think a lot of meetings are meetings because people think they're supposed to meet. Mm, meeting theater. It's what it's what's it's kabuki. Mm-hmm. It's kabuki. It is. Um it's all smoke and mirrors and kabuki and what have we done to be productive? We have had a we, meeting. We had a meeting. We had a meeting and we formed a committee. And we had a meeting. And there's a task force. And the task force. And, I think and there's a lot meeting of minutes that yeah, no one yeah, will ever read. Yeah, I think a lot of it's kabuki. And there there are a couple. I mean, it, there's no shortage of these. You can search them on the internet and you can find them. Sort of meeting productivity hacks. Things you can do uh-huh. to make your, make your meetings more efficient or to make them more productive for whatever that, that sort of means. And one of them uh, is have them walking. Mm-hmm. So uh, you're not in a conference room sitting around a table doing anything uh, because that's another one um, is if you want your meetings to be short and efficient, don't have any chairs mm-hmm. in the room. Yep. Do it standing up and you'll get you'll get done with it pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but walking, you know, just do, take a walk around wherever you are with your meeting collaborators. And um, that does a couple of things. It doesn't just, you know, hey, it's a nice day. Let's take a walk. It doesn't just get us on our feet where we're able to appreciate not screwing around and getting to it. Um, but it, things also move through you differently when you're in motion than you when you're sitting in a chair. Uh-huh. And uh, this is something that, I, that I've that i worked with some students on before where, you know, they come to your office and they sit down and they're really bummed out and they don't know if they want to talk about it and they're saying all the things that they think they're supposed to say instead of opening up and saying the things that they really need to say, mm-hmm. whatever that might be. And it's just not its just not happening. It's just not coming out and they just won't open up. It's like, yeah, let's go for a walk. Well, let's walk around the building a couple of times. And you're not more than 15 steps down the sidewalk when blah, 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 all this stuff just starts, starts right. coming out. And when the body moves, things move through it. And mm-hmm. 
you know, here comes all of this stuff. And so getting to the stuff that is the good stuff, people will say things while walking that they won't say while sitting, staring across a table at somebody else with some candy corn and bottled water. Uh I guess it's a October meeting. I don't know where candy (laughs) corn came from. (laughs) Maybe I've had a lot of meetings with candy corn in them. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of October meetings. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, baby. That's interesting. Um, and some of the other ones, and I was telling you about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, who who was that? Who, who was suggesting that? It was, oh, um, podcasters. It, it, you know, yeah. um, Mark Andreessen uh, was suggesting this. He says it's really, really hard to do. But if somebody wants to meet with you and they say, hey, let's have a meeting next Thursday, you say, no, uh, I won't put that on my calendar. You can either call me. 15 minutes before that time and if I'm free we'll talk or we can talk about it now mm-hmm. but I'm not going to put something next week on my calendar um, and kick this can down the road until then it's mm-hmm. like we, we either talk about it now or we can talk or, or call me and we'll talk about it if I'm free but I'm not going to tie up my time which I might be using for something else far more interesting mm-hmm. far more beneficial and far more something that I'm far more invested in so we can talk about this thing that you might not even think is important a week and a half from now Why tie up our calendars with it? Right. Because once it's on the calendar, it prevents you from doing anything else at that time. So you're getting in your own productive way by putting that there. And I think that's important for like understanding how creativity works because, I mean, it's a flow thing. Like if I end up in flow, I am so resentful of whomever or whatever takes me out of flow. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so like if you're in flow and then... You have to stop this great idea you have because you have to go to a meeting and 15 minutes into the meeting. You're still talking about the icebreaker. <laughs> or, or you realize that the meeting has been called to plan the next meeting. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. you know, it's, it's interesting. I used to feel like meetings were very important and that's where all the real business got done. Um, the more I do work with professional organizations in particular, the more I'm convinced that the real work gets done at the bar. Yeah. You know, or it gets done at the coffee shop. It gets... Work doesn't get done where we think it does. Like, it's definitely not meetings. Um, And I, because of that, I have a belief that the length of a meeting should be inversely proportional to the number of people in the room. Mm. Like the, yeah, the length. Um, so if you have, I used to have to do these meetings with my adjunct faculty when I was administrator and I have 75 adjuncts who are supposed to be in the room. And how long should that meeting be? How long, Paul, should that meeting be? For 75 adjuncts? Uh Uh-huh. How long should it be? Yeah, how long should it be? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know meeting theory that well. I know how long it would probably be. Based on your 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 working theory of Sherry, how long should that meeting be? On your oh man, I'm going to get this wrong. It'll be horrible. Half an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. That would be my goal. That would be my goal. Like half half an an hour, hour. in and out. Because how much information do I really have to tell them? And you know, ultimately, they're part time faculty who are coming to a meeting for me. That's above and beyond the call of their contract. It's yeah, a kindness. Right. Yeah, right. Anything over a half an hour, you're really overstepping. Yeah. Um, but as somebody who has been a part-time employee, I have been to meetings that were far longer than that. And that's not, you know, any shade on people that hold longer meetings. But I think 
I think productive meetings between two people that are several hours long, useful. Yeah. Meetings that are 100 people in a room or 50 people in a room that are over half an hour long, what's actually happening? Oh, uh, yeah. People, half the people are checked out. Oh, yeah. Half the people are checked out. Yeah. Including me. Yeah, especially me. <laughs> right? Like, at that point, half the people that are there are really attending a boring play. Yeah. Like, the worst play they've ever seen. Right. They're not yeah. engaged Did in Did I meeting. die? Am I? Is this the afterlife? Did <laughs> I not go to heaven like I thought I would? Yeah. Is this my is this my life? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Some of those meetings can be pretty rough sometimes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it's. I think a lot of it's kabuki. You know, I think a lot of it is a meeting for the sake of a meeting because that's where things are supposed to sort of happen. Yeah. And COVID has cracked this open a little bit. And one of the first lessons I think that were learned by a lot of people is you can have an effective meeting on Zoom that is far more convenient to everyone that doesn't take nearly as long. Um, that does everything that a meeting actually needs to do, uh, and you didn't have to get catering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we don't have to feed anyone. We don't anymore. feed anybody anymore, and it's it's a yeah. gift. It's a blessing to not have to do that. Um, Except that's where the real work happens. Yeah, because I used to I used to have a meeting that I would uh, I would chair once a month pre COVID. Uh, and it was about two hours long, hour and a half long, two hours of six or seven people mm-hmm. in that meeting. And once uh, we got pandemic, uh, we kept meeting once a month and on Zoom. And the meeting was like an hour. It's like, yeah, we got done everything we needed to get done. And okay, have a great day, everybody. And you were, you were kind of done. Yeah. All within the comfort of your own home mm-hmm. or your own space, wherever that was. And then the, the first, it only takes one of those to, to make you ask, why? Uh, well, I mean, I don't like to. I don't like to dwell on the past. Why weren't we doing this all along? I appreciate that question, but I'm, I, you can't dwell on it because it's not going to. It's not going to lead you anywhere. It's like, well, this is the way we're doing it from now on. We yeah. will never meet person again, even in the best of times. Yeah. Even in the best of times, this is too crazy and convenient. Trying to get five people, six people, to drive around Northern Virginia to be in a room at a time at a place during the week during the day. Don't bother. Don't even bother. Any benefit that you have of meeting in person is outweighed by the shocking inconvenience and the animosity that people will have for making you drive 20 miles in Fairfax County traffic to get there. Except, like, yes, I totally agree, except I think that... So most meetings are, are really, I really do think are worthless and I think they're a waste of time. And most of the time, making people get together in flesh space is not useful. Except, we can't always choose what is meaningful and what's meaningless. And so there are times, like, there's there are collaborations that get started because of side conversations in flesh space that don't happen in Zoom space. That's true. That's right? true. Yeah, that's true. July 1st last year would not have happened that's true. In the same way. On yeah, that's Zoom. true. That's true. We wouldn't be working together. Yeah, that's true. Um, I had a, a faculty uh, advisor. Uh, he was on my oral exam committee when I was in graduate school. And uh, he would go to academic conferences. Uh-huh. It's like, I don't know how many talks that he ever really went to. He was there for the hallway. Yeah. You know, the hallway conversations. And he would always say his biggest complaint about academic conferences was they put too many sessions in. 
you know, would be it would really be better yeah. for everyone if more time was spent letting people meet in the hallway at the bar and the, at the wherever you know outside of the of the event space where you're all being quiet and sitting in columns and rows and and listening to somebody somebody talk and show you slides yep. and the real the real work gets done as you were saying in the hallway that's one of my favorite academic conferences is the Council of Writing Program Administrators, which in normal times I would be preparing right now to, to go to that. That's another, you helped me prepare for my CWPA presentation last year. You are welcome. Thank you. Was that the uh, cycles? Yes, the yeah, cycles. Yeah, the cycles. Yeah. yeah. But um, we didn't have the we didn't have the recorder on for that one. We should have. Uh, we should have. We should we should replicate that conversation one day because that was very useful. Yeah. Anyway, uh, anywho, um, but so one of the things that that conference does is they have, um, they have a, a recess period where mm-hmm. they plan for people, uh, things like going hiking within the area or like kayaking or something like. Something, some leisure activity, and they plan it for people to sign up to do as part of the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it is this understanding that we are human people and not just administrators. Um, but it's also, I think, an acknowledgement of the fact that some of this work gets done in the social spaces. Um, so I remember forming um, a really good connection with someone one year, um, just going to like a, a pub crawl. Right? And like mm-hmm. you form connections in the pub crawl. Um, they also at that conference, like we eat most of our meals together. Um, and there's just something about sharing food with people and unstructured time together that I do think yeah. makes a difference. Right. But I think that's the only thing that's hard to do in Zoom. Yeah, that, that is kind of lost these days, it seems. But backs of heads staring at the same slides. I mean, this is why we don't do this in our classrooms. Unless you have a very different classroom than I imagine you happening. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, you sometimes you get stuck. I mean, I was in a classroom last semester that had sort of stadium seating and it's like the chairs don't move and you're just kind of stuck. Yeah. In a, in a seat uh, until you do something. Unless you do something really creative. Um, you don't have as many options with that. But, uh, yeah, the chairs get messed up all the time. Mm-hmm. Because... Uh, yeah, those classrooms were not designed in those columns and rows for student benefit. No. In any any way. Um, you know, that's like literally the worst arrangement for learning is oh, columns yeah. and rows in, the, oh, in yeah. the grid. Yeah. Although one of my favorite classroom spaces to teach in is actually our little black box. We call it the black box theater, but it's really just a theater room that is painted it's black. painted black, yeah. And it has a stage. It's roughly square-ish. One of the reasons I love teaching in that classroom has nothing to do with the tiered rows. It's the stage. It's the stage. Yeah, I would yeah. Love that. <laughs> so you can you can tell when my students are really in something good because you've got I've got like four or five people just like splayed laying on the stage like working on something together. Um, there's a bunch of random furniture like so you got people sitting on like Chase Lounge and yeah, you know, and it's just, yeah, that's it's great. great. Um, not enough. To, the last time I taught in that class, I had uh, 30 people in the class, and it's a little hard to... That holds about 100, doesn't it? I think it does, yeah. It holds about 100. Um, but a lot of times, I think the best thing you can do for a classroom is give people something to do and then kick them out. 
Yeah. Come back when you're ready. Come back when you're ready. Yeah. Yeah. Come That's what you ready. do when the room doesn't let you do it. You say, why are we in the room? Why are we in this room? Yeah. Don't try to do your, do your best in a room that doesn't, isn't conducive. You, mm-hmm. you, you, you get, you get, you get a different space. You find a different space. Yep. So you get no a, one says you, you have find to a way stay to use here. a different yeah. space, but that requires a new way of, of thinking. So we can't, I guess, we can't just say all the things that are wrong with all these things. I guess we have to offer some solutions. Sure, so, we can't. Oh, right. yeah. <laughs> well, we did. Uh, we did. Uh, so are meetings necessary? I think what meetings try to tap into is that people need a way to get things done and people need community. How do you do that not around a conference table? And well, what the first thing that I had thought, you know, to kind of tie these two ends of this conversation together, what you just said about people need to be able to achieve, how did you say it? They need to be able to... Be productive. Be productive, achieve, and... And have community. Have community. Yeah. Uh, that, they need to get work done. Yeah. Um, the same could go for um, a wedding or a funeral. Mm-hmm. You know, you need to have community, and there is an objective that needs to be addressed. Yeah. Um, how the conference table gets into it, I don't know. I guess just because there's paper yeah. that gets floated around. Um, I don't know. This reminds me that I need to go back and finish reading The Art of Gathering. Yeah, the Priya Parker? Yeah, yeah, I picked that book up at the beginning of uh, the pandemic because I realized I need to know more about how we gather. And then I put it down because so much of the language and the discussion in it was so very focused on the pre-COVID times. Yeah, that's tough. And so That's what I'm, tough. what this conversation is starting to make me realize is like, we kind of need a theory for post-COVID art of gathering. Yeah, I was in the middle of working with some folks on a new academic conference for students mm-hmm. that was going to be new, revolutionary, all new stuff. Uh, at a low price, you know, that was accessible to everyone. Blah. Nope. Nope. COVID. I mean, we had the room block. Yeah. Reserved. You know, we had we had rooms. We had a room block reserved at a hotel and everything. And mm-hmm. nope, I'm not doing that. So, um, yeah, I don't know what the answer is because so much of what um, the academic ex- the extracurricular academic experiences for a lot of students is stuff that we can't do now. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I mean, not just talking about academic conference, of athletics. Yeah. Is gone, is gone for the year. Um, well, so don't we have to go back to what is the purpose? Like, why do we need extracurricular? What is extracurricular? What problem is extracurricular activity trying to solve? That's kabuki. It's all just kabuki, right? I mean, there wasn't, any, it's like meetings. Like, there wasn't any purpose to it. You never actually had to do it. It was done. But I mean, a, a lot but of the. But why? Why? Why do we sink time and resources into it if it doesn't have a purpose? Well, ultimately, college sports became marketing. Part of the uh-huh. marketing budget is college sports, uh-huh. you know. But a lot of the academic experience is marketing as well. Um, and you, one tries to convince one to go to one's institution because of all the opportunities that it affords. 
that are above and beyond the opportunities afforded by someone else or a different institution to try to get them to go to your 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 place and at what point have you lost the focus on what should really be the point of all of this and the the accessorizing of the thing becomes the thing and the original intention is is so buried underneath the blankets that you can't even see it anymore yeah I mean, what do you think when you think of Ohio State? What do you think when you think of Penn State? I mean, do you think about academics or do you think of football? It's the brand. You know? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, most people know the different colleges and universities in the United States because of bowl season and the Final Four. Mm-hmm. March Madness. March Madness in the, ho- in, the, in the holiday bowl season. That's how people know. What colleges are in North America, you know, is from the right. sports teams. Uh, or from the sports teams. Well, doesn't this kind of go back to, like, our original podcast? Like, missing the point. Like, yeah, I mean, sports are fun and they're cool and I'm glad it's they're part of college. Another but... way to form communities and social interaction and... Yeah. I mean, Part they... of a bigger thing that's part of, part of a group or an organization that's bigger than you are, working sure, together, sure. You're building teamwork and leadership and... Yeah, I mean, they're part of the college experience, but I think part of the question is, like, what is the college experience about in the first place? And why does the coach get $10 million a year? Because he's part of the... He's, <laughs> he's the brand manufacturer, yeah, and of why course does, he's Yeah, why does the coach he. get more than the president, right? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah... So what's the right way to do a meeting? Like, so under what circumstances is it done? And I appreciate that, but I mean, this is so, this is this is not this is COVID. Well, independent. I mean, because I mean, a Zoom meeting or an in-person one. Under what circumstances do do people meet? Well, so I think you know one question is I am fundamentally opposed to meetings, right? And if I was queen for a day, I said earlier, I would ban all meetings, and yet, and yet. I have consented to a weekly business meeting with you. I think it was your idea. I, I'm not going to take responsibility for that. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure it was your idea. Uh, I don't know. Mm. Is a meeting of two people a meeting, though? I don't know. Uh, well, that's another question. Yeah. Um, but so what What makes, and you uh, you show up to our meetings, regardless they of do. whose idea they yeah, were. Do. What makes our meetings worthwhile in a way that meetings we attend i mean i guess i'm i am assuming that you find our meetings worthwhile i do well i keep coming back you do keep coming back that's how i know yeah Yeah, that's my that's my love language um Mm -hmm. um, i mean we have a lot of it's also an aa slogan keep coming back yeah uh, well we we spitball a lot of good ideas you know uh, back and forth uh we we just sort of let it rip in that meeting a lot. Um, just kind of spitballing ideas back and forth. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Topics for podcasts, um, different stuff we want to do. Um, and that that sort of is the, the place where these things are, I don't want to say truth tested, but aired, aired out. Mm-hmm. Aired out. What do you think of this? And it sounded great in my head, but it sounds dumb when it comes out of my mouth. Or this is really a thing. What do you think about this? And it's like, oh, that's great. Um, so yeah so part of what works in our meetings is that it's the two of us who happen to like each other and we come to meetings 
to share ideas with mutual respect for each other, I don't think in most meetings that's the context in which you're coming to the meeting. And so there isn't equal idea sharing. There isn't... Like we in have, other people's meetings. In yeah, other yeah. people's meetings. I think we have a collaboration. I think as soon as... Even like, say you and I were to decide to invite a third person to spend time with us. As soon as we do that, does the collaboration get knocked off, right? Like, I mean, you and I have been doing this for however many episodes at this point. Yeah. Right? Like, as soon as... As soon as player three enters the arena, the dynamic shifts. Yeah. If it doesn't, player three is not in the arena. Right. Right. Yeah. They're an employee <laughs> and you're telling them what to do. Right. right. And I mean, it doesn't mean it has to like not go well, but it's just, I think what makes our meetings work well is collaboration and mutual respect and I think that there's an opportunity. Like, I think there's a level of trust. Yeah, absolutely. And and I don't have that in most meetings I attend. And I don't think we come in with our own agendas that we try to impose on the other person. I think we really oh, are. do you know, Paul. Yeah, no. right. Um, well, maybe that's why it works. Because only, only one of us is. Game, yeah, only Paul. one of us is, right? Only one of us is. Uh, which is the same as neither one of us. Yeah. Uh, um, I think we do go into those thinking about what is best for the strengths that we bring into what it is that we're trying to do and how we can kind of synergize them yeah. to do good stuff for ourselves and for others with as much joy as possible for all parties involved, which is why I think you and I have started to become exceedingly protective yes. of um, what ideas we kick around mm-hmm. and um, our time and um, our approach to whether or not so we think something is a good idea or not a good idea, our one hundred percent rule. Uh, yes, I think. Yeah, if we're yeah. not if we're not one hundred percent on board, it's no. Then it's no. Yeah, I do think you're right. I do think. Yeah, I mean, I think we're really good at even. I was going to say I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and. You know, you and I, as you well know, have lots of ideas that we're spitballing between the two of us. Um, some that probably haven't been discussed on this podcast and won't and be won't mentioned be. right yeah, now. Won't be yet. But I remember the world I, is not ready. The for, world is not ready yeah, for Paul and Sherry for what uh, what what is to come. So. Uh, but I sort of alluded to something that you and I have talked about, and uh, the person I was talking to asked, like, "Well, what are you what are you all thinking?" and Normally, I am the person that as soon as somebody asks a question, questions are my love language, Mm -hmm. um, I will answer the question that is put before me, why would I not? And I found myself saying, well, I don't think Paul and I have discussed that to a point where I'm ready to share it with others. And I thought, holy crap. Wow. Like, what an evolved thing. It is evolved thinking, yeah. Right? Like, that's Sherry being like, "Mm, Sherry's going to protect the Paul and Sherry thing. Interesting. But I, you know, that that level of like all of that, the those are the things that have made I think the last year of figuring out like what we're gonna do together and why we work as collaborators. I think that's what's made it really interesting. 
And it's the kind of thing that you just don't, you don't walk into your average meeting and find that. No, I don't think you do. I don't think you do. I mean, it's usually, well, I mean, if you look at, uh, I don't know, the, I mean, our listeners might know if this is true more than, than we, or more than I do. I mean, when, I mean, when we're doing the mix on, on the recording afterwards, and you, know, you look at the audio, it looks like conversations about 50-50. Mm-hmm. If you have a meeting with six people in a room, does everybody get one-sixth of the time? What's the distribution of, of talk time amongst people in a, or is this uh, a concept that is just too dangerous to put out there to people? It's like if you go to a, some, of these, uh, some of these meetings that you go to, and you you take everybody and you count up how much how much talk time everybody got and you rank them out. Mm-hmm. What do you see? What do you find? Well, that's ninety like percent of the people get less than one percent. Well, I mean, that's you go over to Georgetown. There are sociolinguists who have been doing this work. Yeah, they've been they've been asking these uncomfortable questions for quite some time. And yeah, I mean, people don't take equal level turns. Um, and at that point, it's not a meeting. It's a presentation. It's a presentation. Well, but the other side of that is true, too. Like, so so you said six people in a room are each of them... We can make it five to make the math easier because we've got these weird one-sixth decimal I'm not concerned about the math. We've thing. already blown math out the okay, window cool, here. cool, cool. Seven-tenths of our halves. I think we just um, triggered the seventh half of our... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so our 5.6 people who are in right, a room... Right, right. But I think these people in the room, we can ask, are all six or five? Okay, I need a number. Let's say five. Okay, if all five of them are going to get equal part, equal part of the conversation, not all of those five people are going to be happy with the obligation to have that much say, right? Because there's a lot of people who might walk into a meeting space who would feel very uncomfortable being in the space, even being expected To pull an equal share of the conversation. Yeah. Or say anything. Or say anything. Or say anything. Right? And so and so there's some question of like, at what point is it an issue of diverse participation styles? Uh pulling one's weight. There I mean, there's there's interesting conversations to be had with how much obligation someone has to put their voice into a conversation. Yeah, is this the truth in advertising? conversation then because i mean how many meetings have we been to where the opportunity to contribute has been okay does anybody have any questions and that's it you know and it's like that's not a meeting that's uh that's something else well that's i think a lot of things are billed as meetings that are really presentations with a brief q a and they say that to make it go make it go right because it's a meeting if they call it a presentation it's like i just record it and send it to me well, you still I, on Zoom, right? I just think, send me the just send me the, the the minutes. I think that's the other thing we're finding. Like how many things that we've been calling a meeting are really are just presentations yeah. that wow. really can just be recorded and distributed. Because I mean, and we've been saying this for a long time. This meeting could have been an email. Yeah. In fact, I've been to a lot of meetings that were also emails. And if the only if the only uh, if the only invitation. For other voices is, does anybody have any questions? Yeah, it could have been an email. Yeah, It could have exactly. been an email. And if yeah. you don't want to write that email, fine. Just get your phone out and record yourself talking or record it. Or, I mean, there's a million other different ways you can do it besides. That's, sometimes I think meetings exist because people don't trust other people to read. 
And so maybe yeah. this meeting couldn't have been an email. Maybe this meeting should have been a podcast. Yeah. Wow. Yes. Yes. And how many times have we gone to the same meeting over and over again? If they were just recorded one and sent it out as a podcast, then you could just say, hey, listen to episode 15. <laughs> maybe that's our jo- next joint venture. Paul and I will teach uh, you at, how to at, turn at, your meetings into podcasts. At this, at this point, this conversation is getting too interesting, and we're going to have to talk about this at our business meeting because we <laughs> might have just stumbled across something that we're going to want to talk about uh, and develop a little bit before we talk about it again. Yeah. Right? Uh, we have big ideas here. We have big ideas. We always have big ideas. Very cool. We need to write big ideas on a whiteboard. Yeah. If only we had one in the room with us. If only we did. Oh, look. Uh, wow, Sherry, what a meaningful conversation this was. Yeah. I'm I thought about be... all kinds of interesting things. I got kinds of new stuff. I was challenged on some stuff. That's my idea of a meaningful conversation. Uh, it will be interesting how you write the show notes. Yeah. <laughs> What did we just do? Oy, yo, yo. It was really interesting. Yeah. Really interesting. Well, that's one of the reasons we work, because we always have a meaningful conversation. Yeah, something breaks out. Uh, what is our ask of the listener for this episode? What are we, what, what are we asking what are we our ask? listeners to do here? I think I'd like to know from our listeners two things. Okay. One... How do they see the difference between a meaningful and a meaningless experience? Okay. I'll make sure these are in the show notes as well. Great. And then two, what do they want out of a meaningful meeting? And there's a lot of words in there that are important. Not the least of which is meeting. Mm -hmm. Meaningful. Meaningful meeting. Meaningful meeting. What was it? What What do they want out of it? What do they want out of a meaningful meeting? A la, like how do they diagnose whether or not it was meaningful? If or how do they diagnose at... whether or not it was a meeting? So when I walk out of a meeting, so I once, I usually tell people, I've never been to a baby shower and walked out of that experience and said, that was a good way to spend two hours. Yeah. Like, um, sorry, listeners, I'm a horrible person. Anyhow. You've triggered all the mothers. In yep. There. Yeah, sorry. I just, I don't have that gene. Um. So, but I also feel the same way, like, I can think of very few times that I've walked out of a meeting and been like, I am so glad I went to that. So when you have that feeling, what happened in the meeting? That's my ask. Yeah, that's a good question. What are your asks? What do you, you get your own questions. I get my own questions? I will allow Um, it. I will allow you two questions. What does... I'm going to go back to earlier in the conversation. Um, we were talking about compassion and uh, ooh, taking us back. Pain. Yeah, taking us back into the into the old school version of it. I'm good for now. Okay. Um, what? Um, how do you feel compassion in yourself? Mm. Um, how do you feel it? How does it show up? Mm-hmm. So when you when you see the suffering of others. Not like, what does it feel like? Oh, it's sad or oh, it's a bummer. But like, what is it? What is the sensation that you have oh. of it? This is a very different question. You see, the first half of this conversation went to a very interesting other place of this conversation. We I'm places. curious about that. What does it feel like? Because I mean, I, I, I'm trying to, as we were having that conversation, I was trying to picture that myself because like, I know what it's like to witness somebody else's suffering and it's not easy. What about it isn't easy? Do you consider yourself an empath? I don't know. I don't know. It seems like uh, it would be hubris on my part to say, well, yes, I am an empath. I don't know. I think it's pretty obvious when people are suffering. Huh. 
I think it's pretty obvious when people are suffering. So I feel people's suffering in my body. We should talk more about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the question then, like when, when other people's suffering is witnessed, how does it show up? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, mentally, oh, they're suffering in the heart. Oh, that's, that's very sad. Body, ooh, it's like physically uncomfortable, you know, uh, when you see somebody else suffering. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about how other people experience suffering. This goes back, of course, to the rates of things episode a little bit. It does. But I think we're um, always circling back to that. Yeah, I, I like that too. question, Paul. Good one. You like that one? Mm-hmm. I was hoping that one was so good that I won't need two. You can ask that one twice. Okay. Well, it's <laughs> it's kind of a multi-pronged question. Like, how, how does that compare to the discomfort you have uh, when you're in a meeting that just won't end, that is clear that is... <laughs> They're not interested in your perspective or your point of view, and your job is to sit there and take it until they're done. Yeah. Or maybe your follow-up question could be, which of the following 17 things that I mentioned this episode triggered you? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Plenty of things to I don't speak know how to. we escalated to 17. I yeah, don't know, but we're close to that. We're close we to are. that. What a wonderful conversation, Sherry Spiegel. Indeed, Paul Fitzgerald. It was fun. It was. It's always a blast. Yeah. It's, uh, this is our second in-person. In-person recording yeah wow that's what crazy. a treat cool uh hit us up on uh the socials the facebook the instagram we have a twitter uh you can find all of those uh if you go to the website www dot this most unbelievable life dot com dot com so, i like that you did the ww's because you don't trust me to anymore that's nice i feel you that. don't always put in, in enough mm-hmm. w's in there mm-hmm. um <laughs> You that's know my strength. That's, that's not that's, one. That's three W's. That's three yeah. W's. www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, awesome. What a great convo. Yeah, enjoy. And happy July uh, to everyone. Uh, happy recording July. this on July 1. So, July uh, 1. Cool. We'll talk at you soon. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Thanks, everybody. Bye. See you, Sherry. Paul and Sherry have a Paul podcast. Paul and Sherry podcast. Yes. Yes.